If you've tuned into WIHI today, you'll hear a conversation about a topic near and dear to IHI's mission, reducing inequities in maternal and newborn care. If you're looking to learn more about health equity and population health, then head to the IHI Open School. The Open School offers more than 30 online courses, and through narrative, video, and interactive discussion, the courses create a dynamic learning environment to inspire students and health professionals of all levels. Learn more at IHI.org slash Open School. Now, here's WIHI. It's not always easy to measure the consequences of a patient feeling disrespected or demeaned or treated in an undignified manner by our healthcare system, but we do know this behavior occurs way too often. Black women in the U.S. often identify these issues as ones they confront during pregnancy, a situation some experts suggest is contributing to the current rise in maternal complications and mortality in the U.S., most notably impacting women of color. Better, safer, preventive, more responsive clinical care in hospitals surrounding pregnancy and delivery is crucial, but likely insufficient if these other dynamics persist and if we ignore the social issues impacting Black women's lives. So what does a multi-pronged effort look like? That's what we're going to discuss on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live, and then we provide you an archived edition on our website and also via Apple Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. Like all of you are about to, IHI is learning from enormously respected individuals and organizations who themselves continue to learn from the maternal experiences of women in communities across the United States. So now let me introduce our panel. Joining us by phone, Joy Creer Perry is the founder and president of the National Birth Equity Collaborative. She has addressed the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights in order to urge a human rights framework to improve maternal mortality. Dr. Creer Perry previously served as the executive director of the Birthing Project, among many, many other things. And we invite you to take a look at all these bios. Welcome, Joya. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here, and thank you to WISI and you, Madge, and Shannon, who I know will speak soon, for inviting me. Okay, fabulous. Ebony Marcel is the Director of Midwifery at Community of Hope, which includes Family Health and Birth Center in Washington, D.C. She's the former Administrative Chief of Midwifery Service at MedStar Washington Hospital Center and has been recognized with numerous awards. Welcome, Ebony. Hi, everybody. So glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Fabulous. Kadada Green is founding executive director of Black Mothers Breastfeeding Association, co-founder of Black Breastfeeding Week, and lead consultant for the First Food Friendly Community Initiative. She's an expert in community-centered approaches and has put forth recommendations for the U.S. Surgeon General's call to action to support breastfeeding. Welcome, Kadada. 
And Shannon Welch is a director at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. She brings over 14 years of experience working in local public health to a variety of roles at IHI, including IHI's Merck for Mothers initiative and incubation efforts to scale up initiatives across the U.S. and globally. So welcome, Shannon. Thank you so much, Matt. Glad to be here. All right. So we're going to talk to Shannon first. Going to go around the horn, uh, keep track of your thoughts and your questions, and we'll hope to get to all of those uh, in, at uh, the second half of the show. So Shannon, IHI is working on several fronts with others to improve maternal outcomes in the U.S., including partnering with community initiatives like those represented here today. So what's important about this multifaceted approach? And uh, maybe you can uh, integrate into that. What QI methods might bring to the table for all of this. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Madge. So the, the work that we're doing is so important and vital. And if we go to the next slide, I can provide a bit of an overview of the work that we're doing. So March for Mothers has an ambitious 10-year goal to end preventable maternal deaths worldwide. And at IHI, we have an aligned mission to improve health and healthcare worldwide. And we also have a deep commitment to improving maternal health and equity. And it's for that reason, on the next slide, we'll see how we are so thankful to be engaged in a large-scale three-year project supported by a grant from Merck for Mothers. And we are so thankful because of our aligned initiative that this is giving us an opportunity to seek to improve outcomes for all women and babies in the U.S. and reduce disparities that we see in maternal health. And so we are excited that we're able to take the tools that we have from improvement science and to help support communities in doing that. And our goals in this project are twofold. On one end, we're looking to spread the use of evidence-based care practices to reduce complications such as hemorrhaging, hypertension, and blood clots. And on the other side of the project, we're looking to deploy strategies to reduce disparities in maternal outcomes. And as we're doing that, we're looking to, at the intersection of partnering with women with lived experience, people who have given birth, their caregivers, healthcare providers, and community initiatives, so that we can better learn what it will take to address factors that will improve health outcomes for moms and newborns. Now, here I want to share um, a little statistic here. Every two minutes, a woman dies from complications related to pregnancy and childbirth. And when we dig deeper into the data, we see that black women are three to four times more likely to die during pregnancy and childbirth than white women. And we find that this holds true even when we control for factors such as income and education. And so that takes us into the explicit focus on black women for this work. So our purpose, as we see that data, is to amplify the voices of Black women to address structural racism and implicit bias to ensure equity, dignity, and safety for all Black women during the prenatal, birth, and postpartum periods. Now, we have a theory here. Our reason is clear for focusing on Black women. We see clearly from the data that there are inequities being experienced here. And it's for that reason that we have a theory that if we are able to design a strategy to help increase equity, dignity, and safety 
for black women, that that will translate into good outcomes for all women. And so as we look to do this work, we're looking to create and strengthen meaningful collaborations among the women with lived experience, people who give birth, community organizations and workers, and healthcare systems. And then we're also looking to co-design with these groups at that intersection that I talked about earlier, and then share evidence-based learnings that are grounded in lived experience of the patient. Here you'll see our theory of change. So our aim is to improve maternal outcomes and experience of care for Black women as measured by improvements in clinical outcomes, as well as measures of dignity and respect. So in the first phase of our work, IHI is partnering with and supporting four communities to facilitate co-designed improvement level efforts at the local delivery system level. And the four communities were thankful to be partnering with us in this initiative is DC, Detroit, New Orleans, and Atlanta. And so I'm so thankful that we have on the panel today representatives from DC and Detroit to share about the work that they're doing. And you'll see here we have the high volume delivery center within Detroit, the Henry Ford Health System with associated community stakeholders and thankful to have Kadata on today's call. And then for DC, um, one of our community stakeholders is Community of Hope and we're so happy to have Ebony here with us. And you'll see also on the slide the other high-volume delivery centers for New Orleans and Atlanta. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Thank you, Shannon. And uh, now I want to turn to Joya. Uh, I think you're going to probably expand on some of the things Shannon started to say about the national context of the problems here. Uh, as part of that, tell us about the National Birth Equity Collaborative and what we should be understanding and appreciating about what's happening with black women and maternal complications and unfortunate deaths in the U.S. right now. Thanks, Joya. Hello. Hey, can y'all hear me? Oh, we can. Go ahead. Thanks. Okay, great. Can we go to the next slide, please? Sure. Great. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for having us here today. We can um, move on to the next slide talking about black women and maternal care and redesigning for safety, dignity, and respect. So the National Birth Equity Collaborative is proud to partner with the Institute of Healthcare Improvement on this initiative. Um, and really our mission and vision are really to improve the lives of black women and babies, black mothers and infants, and to ensure our vision is that all black mothers and infants are able to thrive. Next slide. And when we created our organization about four and a half years ago, we really didn't have a definition for birth equity. We looked at definitions out there for health equity from the World Health Organization and others and from the Office of Minority Health um, for equity in general and thought, well, what, what does it mean to our mission and vision to discuss birth equity? Um, so a lot of the definitions talk about equity as a place. You know, we'll get to this place and all things will be equal and then we can move on. But we recognize sometimes we get a few steps forward and then a couple steps back. So instead of thinking that we'll get to a place that we can then just stop, we have to really put the assurances or the policies, big P policy, little p, in place to ensure that all people have the conditions to have optimal birth. So we don't want black mothers or any mothers to just say, oh, thank God I survived that pregnancy. We want them to thrive. We have to, in doing that, we have to be willing to address both racial and social inequalities in a sustained effort. Although we're grateful when philanthropy and others step up and finally address the issues when it comes to maternal health in this country, we know that it's not going to happen in a three-year grant cycle. This is going to be, hopefully, a continued effort, but 
going forward that we actually value women and women's health in the United States of America. Next slide. So when we talk about it as an OBGYN, when you come to see us and we, people ask, well, what are my risk factors? What are the things that, are, that I need to worry about and when we think about maternal mortality and morbidity? And some of those are eclampsia or having high blood pressure so high that it causes you to have seizures, cardiac disease, which is really hypertension, having cardiomyopathy or an enlarged heart that has heart failure, having your kidneys fail, having your weight be over a certain amount, um, having chronic conditions, having had a blood transfusion or a hysterectomy, all those are really clinical indicators. And we know those sit you at higher risk of having um, dying within a year of childbirth. But there are some social risk factors that we have yet to address or even discuss in this country and think about what are the reasons and think about how we have to go back to work so soon. On average, women go back to work within two weeks. Um, that if you have a baby and you are, need to have follow-up appointments or you need to address your issues around bleeding or high blood pressure, if you also have to go to work, it's going to be really difficult to both manage having a new infant in your own health. And we know what women do is they sacrifice their own health and they go to work and they take care of their child. And then what happens is we have one of the highest, the highest rate of maternal death in the world for any nation who is industrialized. So for us to have that with as much money, we spend more money than any other nation on health care, but we're not spending money on things like food security, access to comprehensive health care, making sure that people have free college, free education. So when we do this work, when we're talking about maternal mortality and morbidity, we cannot take it outside of the context of people's entire lives. We cannot only just focus on hospitals, especially for black women and for women of color and for indigenous women and rural women. So to that point, it's really important that we expand our understanding and conversation. So we're doing these research um, right now. We have um, funding to work on a, a patient report experience measure where we're asking black women, what is it like to be disrespected in the hospital system? And what would it be like to thrive in a hospital system? What would be your dream for how giving birth would look? We've created an index looking at different cities and what social determines what social factors like housing, transportation um, contribute to infant mortality. We are part of the Black Mamas Matter Alliance, as, as are Kadada and Ebony, so excited to be on this call with them as well. And then we were able to testify um, for the, the only bill supporting um, funding for maternal health that passed under this administration, the Preventing Maternal Death Act that was signed by the president in December. Next slide. So really, what are some of the solutions that we have been a part of across the country and some of the things that we can build on from this work that we're doing? Um, with IHI and with community partners looking at our perinatal quality collaboratives. Um, they exist in about half of the states right now, and those are really mechanisms where you can have statewide education and training for healthcare providers. About 36 states currently um, have maternal mortality review committees, so that means that we don't have right now um, an accurate count of maternal deaths in this country, and so when you have review committees, they can go through and look at the charts and interview families and see What's happening? What's really going on on a very local level that we can then improve systems and ensure that women, especially black women, are seen and heard when they are entering child care, um, labor and delivery. And making sure that you have a health equity framework. IHI has developed a framework that can be used in this maternal mortality space, looking at how you can have, ensure that you have equity in the work that you're doing. Collecting your data, we don't currently disaggregate data, meaning that when you look at the data at the state and local level and hospital level, they don't report it based upon race or income or geography. And we, when you don't count what you don't measure, when you're not reporting those things, we're not able to then see what are the really granular things that we need to change as a system because there's no peanut butter spread to this, right? We're going to have to do individual work. 
And then lastly, decodes are really a coding mechanism that physicians, providers, midwives, nurse practitioners, breastfeeding experts can use to say, this is uh, a patient might be homeless or home insecure, they might not have access to food, and that helps us to collect data so that we can build public health infrastructure to improve those things. Next slide. This is a slide discussing the um, Mother's Voices Driving Birth Equity, the funding through the Robert Johnson Foundation as well. Um, so looking at, along with the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative and the AIM Alliance for Maternal Innovation, how we can listen to black women and ensure that their stories are using a cultural humility lens. And we can do some trainings with providers and hospital systems to improve outcomes so that once we hear about the disrespect, we don't keep having stories in the media about it, but that we actually turn that into accountability accountability at the hospital level, accountability at the, um, the, the systems level, accountability at your um, healthcare plan level. Next slide. And this is a decode I mentioned. You'll see things like not having adequate homelessness, adequate housing. Discrimination is actually a code that people can code currently in ICD-10. So if you are seeing patients and the patient says they were discriminated against, you can actually code for that, as well as poverty, low income. And we can then build systems around that. So we don't have to totally remake the system. There's some things that are already in place that we can use what we'll find out from the work that we're doing here together to really bolster. Next slide. Um, along with the members that are on this call and others, and the Black Mamas Matter Alliance, we wrote a black paper, not a white paper, for setting the standard for holistic care of and black women. We really set the tone for how do we have the mom and the baby at the center and have the system support in all kinds of ways. And so what we normally focus on is the system and mom and baby, especially mom, are an afterthought. So what would it take to ensure that every person, every um, birthing person in this country has access to all the resources that they need in order to navigate the system and have a, a thrive inside of birth? So we have to address provider implicit bias. We do a lot of trainings across the country and talking about respectful care and working with uh, individual health systems, large systems, hospitals, providers, health departments, public health departments, really understanding what bias means, what disrespect means, what structural racism is, what interpersonal racism is, and how that impacts people's health, knowing that we have different power dynamics. You know, we talk a lot about having kind of shared um, decision-making and those um, terms that are jargon, but we really don't acknowledge that there's different power dynamics and large systems have a lot more power. So if you just bring patients in without really leveling off the power dynamic, ensuring that, they, that we have adequate um, ability to make decisions in the meetings and that we're listening to the women that we're bringing to the to the meetings and you're not going to have the outcomes that you wish. You have to invest in a curriculum. A lot of systems right now we're doing curriculums when it comes to anti-racism training. You have to be comfortable saying the word. I mean, it's not a moral judgment. We're not calling people a bad name. There is a historic and a current fact that we have a hierarchy of human value based upon skin color for the last four or five hundred years across the globe. And that belief in a hierarchy plays out in policy and culture, and it causes us to do things that are harmful to our patients on an individual and a structural level. And so how do we then undo those systems and structures and the, and the habits that we have around this belief in hierarchy? And we have to build trust and be honest about what he's historically done, not just Tuskegee. And there are local examples, almost every city we go to, where hospital, the patients in those communities understand that they have not been treated well, they have a parent a grandparent, an auntie, someone who went to that hospital and was disrespected. So even if they as an individual are not disrespected, they know there's a mistrust in the community. So we have to humble ourselves as providers and know that and then come meeting patients that they have um, a knowledge about their own bodies and then we're not just there to tell them what to do, but they come, with the, they're the experts on their health and their care and we're there to help them 
with some additional knowledge, but they come fully knowledgeable of their own selves when they make decisions. We have to invest in community engagement models. So many times we make decisions inside the systems without actually talking to community members, and then we go back to the community after we've made this grand plan and say, do y'all like this or not? So what does it look like to co-develop? And that's what we're doing in this project, starting from the beginning with no preconceived notions about what it should be and say, okay, what would you like in Detroit? What would you like in D.C.? What would be helpful to this actual community? And how do we build something together instead of us just coming in with our preset plans and say, this is what you should do. That's equity. And that's focusing on the folk, people who are most impacted. And then lastly, really having a co-creative partnership that this is not once again, we're going to build it in Boston and come to you with this plan, but we are really here to listen and learn from you and build it together. Okay, I think that's it. Next slide. Is that the end of mine? Yes, but yes. we have this so nice picture so of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, thank you very much, uh, Joya. Mm-hmm. Very helpful and very comprehensive. Uh, a lot of information uh, in, in just several minutes, but hopefully people can, um, you know, you, you'll review the slides again and think about some of the issues that are being brought up here. So tell us what's going on uh, in D.C., and uh, we'll, we'll get back to Detroit. Uh, we could never not go to Detroit, so <laughs> we'll just start uh, with that. Okay, Ebony, thank you. So in D.C., um, it's looking a little bit more like a tale of two cities. Um, D.C.'s broken down in eight wards, um, and I primarily set or serve wards five, seven, and eight out of the eight. Um, which has some of the higher rates of maternal mortality and infant mortality, especially with uh, black women. I'm very lucky to uh, to help create a fabulous prenatal program here in D.C. that I think is the answer um, to our maternal mortality crisis. And what that looks like is it's a midwifery model um, with the option of a birth center, um, having the option to have out-of-hospital birth, which is extremely transformative, is huge. Um, a majority of birth centers are do not accept Medicaid. Um, other things that are that make us stand out is we have centering pregnancy, group prenatal care. Um, we also have care coordinators. I have a group care coordinator, um, a reproductive care coordinator, and prenatal navigators who assist moms throughout the pregnancy and then six months after she has the baby. Um, another thing that stands out is we have integrated behavioral health, which is awesome. So our behavioral health specialists come into um, our centering groups. Um, they meet moms when they engage to um, in prenatal care. Um, they engage with us during our early postpartum groups. Um, that's another thing that we do. We do um, early postpartum groups between two to four weeks. And um, we find that moms love it because after centering, they want to keep coming to groups. <laughs> so just one more. And um, there we do, if needed, um, a weight check on the baby um, because a lot of our moms bring their babies back into um, our services. The midwives usually see them the first uh, 28 days and they transition seamlessly to our family providers. And here for that two, that early postpartum group, they get to fellowship, work on breastfeeding, have conversations about, um, you know, the life transition. Um, but what I find is the early postpartum groups that have longer breastfeeding after six weeks rates. Um, other things that make us stand out is I have a predominantly of color midwifery staff. 
Um, as Joya mentioned before, when we're dealing with an area that has high distrust, especially with institutions, it's very helpful um, for them to, you know, see providers that look like them. Um, and, you know, that's really, really a huge dream because here pretty much we're a unicorn. Um, midwives of color, especially black midwives, only make up about 2% of the entire profession. Um, and so really, really hard to build um, predominantly of color services, but here we are right here in D.C. getting it done. <laughs> um, other things that really uh, that we are really, really proud of is we have a volunteer doula system. So we're able to provide moms who normally at cost cannot afford a doula, a doula for labor. Um, and we are continuing to grow and innovate and provide culturally aware care for um, women who are in need. I just said a lot. I'm sorry. No, you didn't say a lot. I appreciate it very much. Um, I want to explain to everybody that we got a frozen screen, which uh, is why we're hearing about uh, DC, and we've got um, an, a wonderful slide about oh, uh, for Breastfeeding Week uh, in, in Detroit. Okay, so that was the final slide uh from uh, the other group. Okay. Um, I want to just ask you a, a quick question, Ebony, before we go to sure. Kadada. Could you talk about some of the issues? Um, there, There's a slide that hopefully we'll still be able to show uh, of an action lab and some of the first, um, some of the meetings that are taking place to identify what the issues are uh, that women are experiencing uh, that are contributing to barriers, maybe to the best care. And curious, what kinds of things are women identifying that then become part of your uh, agenda for the for some of the work you're doing? Sure. So a lot of women are saying, you know, either they have a generational historical distrust with particular institutions, um, history of poor outcomes with individual institutions, um, or just feeling like they don't want to go somewhere where they're going to be judged or disrespected. And so it's really important that we create a space that they feel safe and that they feel comfortable, but also acknowledging that this isn't just about individuals. This is about systems. Um, so one of the things that we've really, really worked hard at is um, creating the best possible way for a mom to be successful. And for me, um, that includes always seeing late prenatal patients. So I don't care if she's 15 minutes late. I don't care if she's four hours late. We never turn away late prenatal patients. And what I find, to be honest with you, is a lot of the moms who, you know, probably through a ton of different struggles why she couldn't get there, transportation, child care, um, and sometimes she's just super depressed and she couldn't get out the bed. But for whatever the reason, when she shows, it changes her to know that we're going to see her. And a lot of the, a lot of the times she's no longer you know, running late um, and really looking forward to her appointments. We have to talk about how, you know, we had two hospitals closed east of the river where we have the worst outcomes. And like we're still in negotiations and discussions on when that's possibly going to be rebuilt. We have to talk about how we have institutions where they cannot bring their younger children when they have to get sonograms. 
So what's going to happen? They're not going to go get their sonograms. Um, I think that what we're trying to do here is bring care to meet her where she's at. And we're trying to make her feel safe and, um, and making sure that the care is also culturally aware, which is really, really huge. And what I mean by that is, you know, I always give the example when I'm teaching, you know, it's real easy for providers to read in their book, you know, oh, nutrition, you should be eating kale, lentils, um, you know, all these different things. And she was in a food desert. So it's really nice for you to give her this huge shopping list. But the other piece, too, is she may not be the one that cooks in the household. She also may need to use her food stamps to pay rent. You know, there's just a lot of different layers and pieces when interacting exclusively with um, this population that I feel like people are not taking into consideration. Um, and so I think that, you know, as a whole, not only do we need to have conversations about individuals, we have to have conversations about systems. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll get into more of this uh, during a chat and Q&A. Uh, there is a question in the chat asking about uh, the issue of being able to raise uh, concerns, supporters, uh, spouses, parents, others who may want to raise issues on behalf of a pregnant woman's concerns about how she's being treated and the tendency for there to be a lot of pushback and defensiveness on the part of providers. So um, I think some of the things you're talking about would be part of probably that conversation and dynamic. Um, let's uh, dig into the chat. But you know what? Before we do, I thought I would, um, you know, maybe just for two seconds, just to help set up the chat a little bit more. Shannon, I want to come back to you and just ask, as uh, each of these community initiatives, uh, and we know in Detroit, uh, uh, there's a huge amount also going on and issues that are being identified there. Is th- How does that all come together um, in terms of what you're all uh, going to be working on? I think the design team in Detroit... Uh, identified things like needing doulas, peer support, group prenatal care. Um, They want uh, there to be implicit bias training um, and also much more focus on helping women understand the risks postpartum, uh, that whole period of time often after discharge from a hospital. What are you or what is the initiative going to do as these issues bubble up? Thanks, Shannon. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Madge, for the question. Within the community, the work that IHI is supporting on the ground is we went to both D.C. and Detroit and facilitated what we call an equity action lab. And essentially, that's a time for partners in the community to come together and to essentially map the journey of what it's like to walk through the process as a woman as you go through pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. So in Detroit, we had a time where they did the journey mapping activity and mapped out what are the high points throughout each stage of the process, what are the low points, and they started to surface some ideas they had that could make things better. 
And then we were able to support the groups in identifying some specific topic areas that you just outlined there, Madge. And now what they're able to do is they have formed specific design teams to focus on the work that they want to test out and try. And so I'm hoping Kadata can come back in because a part of the design team that she's helping to lead is around the pregnancy and looking at um, the relationship between providers and doulas and how to help improve that so that the women are able to have access to the, to the support that they need and they have said is important to them and so that they can have a great working relationship that best serves the needs of the patient as she's going through this time of pregnancy and birth. And so they are able to try out the ideas that they've developed and test them over a 100-day period. And then as they test those out, we are supporting by sharing some quality improvement tools, things around improvement science to help them identify measures and track progress over time. And it, the nice thing about this is that it's quick. It's we do something, make a quick change, see if it worked or not, and then we'll know by the end of the cycle what things were effective to help increase equity, dignity, and safety, and what things perhaps maybe need a little bit more tweaking. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that, Shannon. We are trying to reconnect with Kadata, but we haven't uh, managed to yet. Kadata, if you can hear us, you might want to just start over and dial back in. Um, and uh, we would love to, obviously, uh, hear your voice. Uh, we do have a nice slide up here that are talking about the Action Lab from June. Uh, Joya, I wonder if you could chime in here a little bit. Uh, we're definitely getting questions here about uh, ways to address and Implicit bias. I mentioned that yep. uh, somebody in the chat talked about uh, raising things with providers who get defensive, uh, don't yep. seem able to hear what people are saying. Some thoughts about that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, so I love that my midwifery and doula colleagues have really been working hard to help build capacity with the client. I think my role, especially as an OBGYN in this space, is to work with my fellow OBGYNs about our defensiveness at times. I do think that um, it is a difficult space. A lot of the media attention has focused a lot on the fact that women are being disrespected, and, and we haven't really had an honest conversation within our own communities about why that is and what that is and our own um, levels around power and how we were trained and what we were taught in our role inside of healthcare. And so that's really what I get to spend a lot of time, the joy of getting to spend a lot of time doing. I, even when we were asking Ebony about what she does as far as um, ensuring that their patients have kind of the adequate, the, the, the best place to thrive in her center and they feel loved and they feel like they're a part of a group, we can do that too as OBGYNs and we have the capacity for that. We just have to really tap into um, letting go sometimes of a lot of the power dynamic that we have. And so that's what the training um, I'm very able to do, we do simulations, we do patient, um, a lot of the, the, the medical students now, medical schools, we use a standardized patient to practice things like giving bad news or practice things like how to do a blood pressure. We utilize standardized patients to work on our implicit biases, you know, like having a white woman who is an ER nurse come in and act out as a standardized patient, as an as a actress. Um, asking for pain medication to an OBGYN who's practicing in rural United States, 
it's very difficult because we haven't had to really ever practice that before and get critiques on how we respond, what are our biases, what are the things we're thinking. I've worked, with, we've worked with hospitals where they say things like, well, I just want to drug test everybody so I don't have to act. Well, we're not going to do that. That's illegal. <laughs> and B, really this, we have to work on our communication skills, decreasing our biases. And I know that there aren't a lot of evidence out there. isn't a lot of evidence out there that we have a magical wand to get rid of bias, but we do have a lot of evidence that we have a lot of bias. So there's a lot of, we need uh, multiple ways, including lectures, simulations, um, working through constant, it's gonna, and, and the reason I brought up cultural humility is because it's different from cultural competency. I don't expect to become competent in someone else's culture, but I can, am humble enough, humble enough to know that I have to always try to learn more about other cultures. And the cultural humility model really requires you to have lifelong learning and a lifelong curiosity around other groups and a, and a humility that we don't know everything about others and that they come with knowledge. And so that's really kind of what we lead with when we're doing that work. Um, and in an acute sense, when you are in a space and you're feeling threatened by a provider or if you're in a space you don't feel like they're listening to you, unless you're at the moment of delivery, you could always change providers. I think that people don't hear that enough. They don't feel powerful enough to be able to change. And if you're in a space where you don't have the geographic or the if people are not taking your insurance and it's hard to move, then really bringing in other folks in the local area, your, your doulas and your family members to help support you in that space. But don't ever forget that you can change providers. You, you're not obligated to stay with anyone. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, mm -hmm. Very important perspective. I invite people also to go to the websites of each of these organizations uh, for resources, and we'll try and get as many of those links up there. I... Um, I have a feeling that Kadada is, Kadata. yay, yay, you're back. Oh, we missed you. Okay. Um, talk about the fact, we were talking about the action labs and sort of identifying issues uh, in Detroit with the women with lived experience. And I'm curious, tell us some things maybe that you uh, and your colleagues are learning about uh, women's experiences that maybe um, not a surprise, but maybe aren't the ones that maybe everyone expects to hear about. I, I, I'm often curious about that. Are there issues being raised uh, that need to be paid more attention to? Yeah, well, absolutely. So Black Mothers Breastfeeding Association is in partnership with Healing for Health Systems and IHI working to improve birth and maternal outcomes in Detroit. And as part of the um, IHI Detroit Equity Action Lab, um, BIMFA, short for Black Mothers Breastfeeding Association, is developing solutions, setting ambitious goals, and developing action plans through a co-design process. And during the initial two-day equity lab in Detroit, three, three groups were formed, the pregnancy group, the birth group, and the postpartum group. The birth group focuses on advocacy for birthright, implicit bias training. Um, the postpartum group is focusing on increased awareness of warning signs, um, postpartum depression, and support groups and paid medical leave. Each group is part of a is part of three 100-day sprint um, to sprints to co-design and test inter interventions. So our role, BIMFA's role, is is to lead the pregnancy design team. And the pregnancy design team is focused on community-based doula care, peer support, and group prenatal care. 
And these were the things that came out of that two-day action lab, the things that came from the providers, that came from community-based doulas, that came from mothers who are, who are in the community and a part of the system. Talk so, about the role um, of the doulas. The, what, what, what is very significant about that? Somebody has also asked about that program in D.C. Uh, that, that's a theme here. Uh, what's valuable there? Yeah, well, absolutely. So Black Mothers Breastfeeding Association, we use Help Connect One community-based doula model. And um, it's really important that the doulas are of and from the community so that they can have that similar cultural, uh, similar sociocultural background and provide, build that trust and build that credibility and have an understanding of what it is that uh, families are going through. And doulas provide emotional, uh, physical, uh, emotional and physical support during pregnancy, during birth, um, and postpartum, as well as educational resources. So as part of this plan that we're working on in Detroit, the team, um, is, is formed with community-based doulas, Memphis mama, mommy ambassadors, administrative staff of Hustle Women's Hospital, um, the March of Dimes, Michigan, Focus Hope, which is a local early childhood provider, Family Floor Hospital, and, of course, a team member from IHI. And what we're looking to do is to expand the team as well to include Medicaid-managed care organizations. So during the first cycle, the pregnancy design team is really planning a meeting group with community-based doulas and providers of a local hospital. What we want to do and what came up as part of this uh, this equity lab is we want the community-based doulas to be viewed and respected as an integral part of the healthcare team. So currently, when doulas visit most of our local hospitals here, they're seen as a guest. And so you're limited to what to get. So when doulas uh, come during the birth, Parents have to decide, families have to decide, hey, do I want my sister here or my doula? Do I want my mother and sister or do I want my mother and doula? And so um, what we want to do is for each hospital to kind of remove that and say, hey, doulas are part of the healthcare team. They're important. They're, they have an important role. So one of the things that we thought would be helpful um, is to have a meeting group which would be an opportunity for providers and doulas to better understand one another's role in the health care of the patients and the clients, the mothers that we serve. So we decided during our meetings, um, post the Equity Lab, we, we continue to have meetings, that we want to focus on the commonalities. And what we learned is that both local the local hospital that we're working with and Memphis community-based doulas both want to reduce C-sections. We both want to reduce the use of epidurals, and increase breastfeeding rates. So we plan to use those commonalities as our foundation for moving forward. And an aim for the meeting group is kind of like the first step in bridging that gap between community-based doulas and providers so that we can become one unified healthcare team. All right, that is so interesting. I uh, about the ways in which uh, the the doula has to somehow uh, kind of elbow their way in there, or uh, you know, or possibly replace an important family member in order to to be with uh, the pregnant or recently um, delivered mom. I wonder if anybody who's on the program uh, today, if you have 
have uh, examples uh, in your own healthcare organizations of doulas being better integrated or solutions that have uh, helped the situation. Uh, reminder that on all the slides of our panelists today, there are email addresses, uh, and you can uh, let people know maybe of some examples. I assume, uh, Shannon, that as answers or ideas and maybe templates, people are asking about templates and other resources uh, become available, there will there will be more available even on our own website in terms of sort of effective uh, things people can use. Uh, somebody has asked, um, is the uh, is is there uh, any sort of tool that anyone has used that uh, can help, for example, around implicit bias training within healthcare around pregnancy uh, in particular? I don't know if that's uh, available. Yeah, I think that was um, yeah to me because okay. I mentioned it a few times. Yeah, so we do yeah. them. We do them. They're either two hours long a day long or two days long, depending on what the healthcare system provider, what they would like. Um, we kind of co-created with you. Um, so it entails what your desired outcome of, of, of information is, and it be- can become a long-term program. Yes, definitely Zuckerberg, I work with them. They have a great doula integration program, but they also have some challenges um, in San Francisco as well. And then uh, just to point out that Truthfully, this conversation about doulas is only for poor women and women of color. Um, that we expect women who have resources to come in and have someone with them that they pay lots of money to, um, and no one flinches. Uh, but when we say that we're having an advocate, that there is there someone who's there for a poor woman or a woman of color, it changes the power dynamic. So I cannot be on this webinar without being honest about who we're talking about when we say there's this tension around doulas and the fact that you count the number of people in the room. We don't count the number of medical students or residents that are in rooms, but magically when it comes to who can be in the room for patients, we give them limits and numbers, and so that is a a system of hierarchy of who's valued and whose decisions are valued. And so all of those are structures and decisions and choices that hospitals and systems are making that are devaluing the women. So if if we can say we can have three medical students, I don't know why you can't have an entire family in the room. And so just really thinking about why we make those choices and what are we doing to stay um, we want um, people, women who are low income or women who are of color to have all the support that they need and to not feel marginalized. And I know I've worked with a lot of systems. We've worked with a lot of systems where we get pushback, where we, you know, there's a, a belief that having more people is going to be a, um, a, a danger to the, the room, but there's no data to support that. We have spaces, there are hospitals that allow folks in and culturally, People want to have who they want in the room. I and mean, we should imagine another moment of a power and a power shift and, and valuing actual people's lived experiences and wanting people to be met where they are. And all the language that both Kadada and um, Ebony use, that's important um, to say that we, we want, we shouldn't have to choose and have to do as a healthcare team. You should be able to have who you want in the room and that's their choice and their body and their body will be autonomous. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Ebony, I want to come back to you. Uh, towards the end of your remarks, uh, just a little bit ago, you were also mentioning the loss of certain services uh, in the D.C. area uh, that served a lot of low-income people and low-income women. Um in that kind of environment, uh, how, <laughs> what are what are some of the challenges then for women who might have been used to going to those institutions uh, for pregnancy? Um, well, where can they go? 
So all the hospitals are clustered in the, you know, the higher wards, which have um, less uh, of an issue. So transportation is huge. Um, and then they spill into the two larger hospitals, which then are chronically on diversion, which means they can turn away EMS. Um, and so it just becomes terrible um, for women to get access to care. Now, there, I want to be clear, there's access to prenatal care. Um, there's access to GYN care, family care, whatever. There's there's tons of clinics. I think that um, we're looking at separate problems in the sense that labor emergency, there's nowhere for them to go, but then also even having access to clinic, we still have women that are choosing not to go to come into care. Um, and so, you know, part of the way that we're really, really, really have tried to address this and kind of work on this is, again, I can't, you know, say it more than one time, like systems, you know, do you have a setting that's going to welcome women and meet women where they're at? Are your systems set up for that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the good thing is that we do have some of the Medicaid managed cares who are providing um, lifts and Ubers for prenatal appointments. But again, like, what if she has limited minutes on her phone? What if we need to, you know, arrange this through her boyfriend's grandmother's phone? And so that's where having a prenatal navigator to, like, sit down and, like, coordinate transportation has been really, really key. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I think what we're we're doing the best that we can, but I definitely know that it's, it's a problem not to have any hospital east of the river. Absolutely. Well, we are definitely uh, describing a circumstance or circumstances that are multifaceted and multi-layered. Um, we never shy away from challenges on WIHI, and this initiative of which all these panelists are a part uh, goes on. Uh, in many ways, it's kind of early stages for some of the work. Uh, I also want to uh, remind everybody that there are ways to stay connected uh, and for you to learn as others are learning. Uh, so please take advantage uh, of that. And what I'd like to do is just go around the horn quickly uh, and uh, just kind of some final thoughts uh, from, excuse me, from everyone, uh, just sort of uh, the thing that maybe you're the most excited about. Uh, we do talk about problems and they are there, uh, but uh, people are starting to, uh, you know, get on top at least of some things right now now. So let's go around the horn. Shannon, let me start with you. Uh, what what are you excited about uh, kind of in the days ahead? Sure. Thank you. I am so excited when I've had a chance to be on site in D.C. and Detroit. It has been so wonderful to see the energy, the passion that the communities have. And I'm excited to see how women with lived experience have been at the table and key thought partners and designing and developing. So I'm just excited to see what learning will come and successes from the work that's happening on the ground. Thank you very much for your time with us. Joya, what are you excited about? I'm excited that we've moved to the phase of solutions. We spent the last kind of four years talking about the problems of maternal mortality. I think bringing in partners like IHI, along with the community women, the Black women-led organizations like 
um, Ebony's group and like Kadada's group and combining the talent and the brilliance of both to build something together will be transformational. Okay. Well, thank you so much uh, for your guidance mm-hmm. in this work and for taking part in WIHI. Uh, Kadada, uh, what, what are you looking forward to? I, as you told me, you got to get off the phone at three o'clock um, or at, at least Eastern time uh, to be part of uh, recognizing the importance of breastfeeding. Uh, but uh, after today, what are you excited about? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm really excited that we have uh, Memphis Mommy Ambassadors as a part of this co-design because they really speak from the experience of the Black woman. They are the Black woman, and they understand what the problems are and what resolutions can be and what works for them. So I'm happy to have our Mommy Ambassadors at the table. I love that it's an it's a, there's an integrated group and that folks are in a space to make decisions and solutions. Okay. Thank you also for your time uh, with us. Uh, Ebony, you get the last word. <laughs> I just want to echo what both Kadata and Joya are saying. I'm so happy that we're Black Women-Led initiatives are starting to get more attention um, because we know how to solve this problem. Um, just super, super excited to see all the innovation and the work that's being put forth to, to really address um, these disparities. Okay. Well, thank you also. So huge thanks to our panelists today and also to our audience. Uh, thank you for your patience uh, as we move through all kinds of challenges, even in this little hour. Lots of material. Please uh, make sure to take advantage of the slides. There's a lot of links, a lot of resources. There's ways to follow up with all the panelists, ways to follow up with IHI and to uh, get on board with these this work and to tell us more about what drew you to the program today and uh, what kinds of things and solutions you're coming up with. So thank you. We have a special edition podcast coming up on WHI in September. I don't know how we got to August, but next month is September, and we're going to be looking at safety. And then in October, we're going to bring a fresh look and uh, to the whole issue of waste in healthcare. A big reminder, as Vicki put in the chat, that you can download it when you get off the show today. It prompts you when you get off the WebEx. But if you don't figure any of that out, don't worry. It's all on IHI.org as of kind of midday tomorrow. All the resources will be there. And a reminder that you can also find us through Apple Podcasts. And if you subscribe, then you'll never miss a program. So we appreciate your interest in that way, too. Any questions whatsoever, info at IHI.org. They'll get in touch with me and uh, we'll uh, address any problem that you might have getting hold of materials. Great group of people make WIHI possible. They include Matt Morse, Vicki Minden, Joanna Carmona, Mo Berry, Val Weber, and Pat McTiernan. And a special thanks to Anna Moore for her help with today's program. It's my privilege to host this program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to WIHI. Reducing inequities in care is central to IHI's mission. Whether you're new to health equity or just looking to brush up on the topic, then head to the IHI Open School. 
Through narrative, video, and interactive discussion, Open School courses create a dynamic learning environment to inspire students and health professionals of all levels. Learn more at ihi.org/openschool.